Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. More bonus material on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Dennis and I are working overtime today, bringing you some uh, great conversation, some great interviews with people who know what's going on. In this particular case, we're going to do the deep dive on Donald John Trump with two of the uh, Trump Trumpians, uh, experts on all things Donald Trump. Uh, they are obsessed with Donald Trump as I am, maybe even more so. so uh, and they've each been on the show before, one more than the other. So you'll probably recognize their names as we go to the mic check, starting with guest number one. Hi, this is Atiba Buchanan, creator and host of Humanity in the Headlines. We air Saturdays on intellectualradio.com. Uh, I just want to say that I ain't no joke. I used to let the mic smoke, but now I slam it when I'm done to make sure it's broke. That's all. Oh, okay. All <laughs> that's right. Rakim. That's, oh, if anybody I doesn't did. know, I'm, that's not mine. That's Rakim. I, it's my favorite rapper. I just had to get I it. I did not know who it was. I thought yep. it was you. Yep. Guest number two. It's Man, that's a tough act to follow. Go ahead, guest number two. David Seaton. I am the co-host of Humanity in the Headlines with the TV Buchanan. I am not going to quote any hip-hop. <laughs> not going there, but uh, uh, if you're listening, please get out and vote and vote for anyone except Donald Trump. All right, very good. I agree with that one uh, as well. We had uh, a guest yesterday who, when I said to do that, uh, Sarah Carr from WBEZ, she quoted Wordsworth. I I just said, anything you want. Quote a poem, a song. She did William Wordsworth. I'm like, I'm very impressed uh, with my guests. Can do rap, poetry, et cetera, and so forth. Let's hear you rap. Uh, I don't know any rap. Wordsworth? Uh, I could do it. Fl- I floated alone. No, stick to hosting. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, there's one raps line I could do uh, from Kanye. Uh, something about they talk about me in barbershops. I always like that one line. Do, do, do you guys know what I'm talking she about? Messed up, oh, she's a gold digger? No, no, no. Oh, okay. It's the one, uh, everything I am makes me everything I'm, no, everything I'm not makes me, well, I get it mixed nope, up. You know that know line? Stick not to posting. <laughs> not a Kanye fan. Uh, I, I, it's everything I am. Old Kanye was yeah. good. Uh, well, I think that's an old song. Anyway, and then he goes, people so, talk so much stuff about me in barbershops, they even forget to get their hair cut. Anyway, Anyway, uh, I always like that line. All right, let's get down to business, Atiba and David. Let's, let's talk some Donald Trump. I have a list of things. We're going to take uh, uh, one step at a time. Uh, this is the deep dive on Donald Trump. Where do I start? Let us start with um, the latest insanity from the mouth of our president of the United States. It occurred when George Stephanopoulos on ABC TV yeah, it was granted an interview with Donald Trump. And uh, Donald uh, then said, essentially, if I had to do it again, I would do it again. And that is to take uh, intel from Putin uh, that had been hacked from Democratic computers. We'll start with you, Atiba. Uh, sure. Please explain to me what logic uh, is is uh, at play here when Donald Trump, uh, who's been saying no collusion, suddenly turns around and says, yeah, I'd do it again. Yeah. So this is the one time that we have to give him credit for at least one thing. 
this is the one time he wasn't lying. <laughs> he was he was being honest. He was asked a question. If you had to do it over again, if another country came with you, came to you with information on your on on your opponent, would you take it? His answer was an unequivocal yes. Um, I appreciate his honesty. People have been trying to figure out, does he just not know civics? Does he just not know how we work or does he not care? And I would I would answer, I would suppose that it's a, that it's a lot of both. He doesn't know the norms. So but at the same time, if you told him the norms, he doesn't care about the norms. And the sad part about that is, is that he's began to normalize this. Um, and it, it, it starts at the top and goes down to almost every member of his, of his administration. You can look at all the people that have had to leave. Have you ever seen so much corruptness? Right now, they're calling for Kellyanne Conway to be fired for violating the Hatch Act repeatedly. Mm-hmm. What does Trump say? They're violating her free speech. Essentially, he doesn't care because lawlessness is a part of their is a part of his administration and his his admission of what he would do on live television. I think it's just part of a strategy that works for him. He says things that if he if he were caught saying the same thing on a tape would be the news for a week. But because he says it out in the open, everyone then assumes that he's too dumb to be corrupt. And that's and I'm sorry to ramble, but as I'm saying things, I'm just being reminded of things. That's essentially how his son wasn't indicted because Mueller basically said, yes, the things that he did was were corrupt, but he didn't know they were corrupt. So we can't establish intent. So I can't charge him. The interesting thing or the the far more interesting thing, I heard a lot of people make the point about the day that he was doing that interview, we do have to remember that his son was reappearing before Congress. Donald they Jr. Were, Donald mm-hmm. Jr. And they were questioning him about the the Trump Tower meeting mm-hmm. with uh, Natalia Velenitskaya, or however you say her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, there, half of it might have been that Trump was trying to preempt. He he couldn't come out that day when he was having that that interview with Stephanopoulos and say. Absolutely, under no circumstances is is meeting or colluding with uh, a, a, an enemy of the state. You, you, you'd never do that under any circumstances, and we didn't do it because if he said that, now his son is appearing before Congress, and everyone's going to say, well, you just said you should never t- take a meeting. You should call the FBI. Your son didn't do it. So, so he might have, you know, that was part of his motivation for coming out with that but his hypocrisy goes all the way back when when he was still talking about hillary clinton more often when he would say uh our our side didn't collude uh and collusion is not a crime but hillary she colluded so she needs to go to jail so which one is it if collusion is not a crime then it doesn't matter and and that's been the problem with the people on the right the sean hannity's and the and the rush limbaugh's and the right wing echo chamber they've been saying that well if you're going to go after trump then you have to go after Hillary. And but that by saying that, if you're going to go, if you're going to say you're going to have to go after Hillary, you're admitting that what Trump did was wrong. And uh, Chris Cuomo made a really good point last night. He said he, when he was talking about this law, this law says in, in, le- in election law, you can't receive anything of of value. value. Mm-hmm. So some, you can't be given something of value. So they're saying that if someone gives you this information, they give it to you, and they give it to you for free, meaning that it was a gift. Now, when you get in office, you're going to be beholden to the person who gave you that information. And the point of Hillary Clinton, the campaign 
paid for the information that they got from Steele. So so you can't even compare the two, even if you're looking at the letter of the mm-hmm. law. All right. Now, let me just add a little yeah. bit more context to mm-hmm. I, I came prepared with a tweet. And that's a great point you make, Dave. Uh, if you guys have ever seen Asha uh, Rangpanya or, or Rang, Rangappa, excuse me, she she's she appears on CNN all the time. Mm-hmm. She's a pundit. I think she's a I think she was a former prosecutor. Mm-hmm. But she says a key on Twitter. She, she tweeted key point missing in discussion of POTUS's comments. He is a desperate, desperate man. Once he leaves office, he has no protection from prosecution. He's advertising that he'll cheat to win because that's the only way to keep his butt out of jail. Explain that. Because Mueller basically said you, he agrees that you cannot indict a sitting president. Mm-hmm. If he wins two terms, the statute of limitations uh, on the oh. things that he could be culpable for <laughs> yeah. would run out. Uh-huh. But if he loses after the first term, he could like, so that goes back to Nancy Pelosi's comment. I don't want to see him impeached. I want to see him in prison. Yeah. So what she's saying is here, he's, he's literally saying to Russia or whoever else wants to get involved, give me what you got because I need to stay in office to prevent myself from going to jail. All right. Now let's just something yeah. Both of you said, I took notes here, uh, the normalization of bad behavior. Now, follow me where I'm going with this one. Donald Trump essentially told a national audience that he had no problem with getting information that was uh, illicitly gathered by a foreign government who hacked into Democratic that's what happened. Literally what happened. Putin's hackers hacked into the Democratic computers, stole information that they found there, and disseminated it to the advantage of Donald John Trump. At so, the direction of Putin. At the direction of Putin. Now, Donald Trump has said, I would do it again. All right? So there's so many things violated there. So many uh, so many laws trampled. So many notions of, like, they're so essential to, like, our American way, like private property. All right? The, the Republican Party has really not taken a strong stand against this. There are Republicans here and there, Atiba, when you read their comments, they're like very carefully nuanced. So yep. they're making sure they're not criticizing Trump. They're kind of a, va- I wouldn't do it, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, the, the, the amen corner of, uh, of Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity, they're defending him, et cetera, et cetera. It, have, are we in a point now where we're a effectively saying you any behavior the republican party at least is saying this any behavior is acceptable so long as it leads to the election of a republican like donald trump yeah uh to to get to, to get to your answer the short answer is yes and when i say that we're looking at the normalization of criminal and corrupt behavior which is why impeachment is so important even if we're not successful in the Senate, we have to at least call out the fact that this behavior is, is, is out of bounds. And if we don't, if we, if we can't impeach Donald Trump for what he's already done, we really don't need any more information. But if we can't impeach him now, then essentially there is no one that we could ever impeach. And, and if that's the case, then he has forever lowered the standard of the office. And that and that is the biggest thing that he's been able to do thus far is lower the bar. The things that comes out of his mouth, even in his interview with Papadopoulos, I'm, I'm watching them. Go Stephanopoulos. Back and forth. Stephanopoulos. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confusing it with the guy who went to jail. George Papadopoulos. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with Stephanopoulos. All these Papadopoulos. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank names. you. Um, you know, he even there was a moment where he says, you know, yeah, you're being kind of a smart guy because that's kind of what you do. And again, that's, that's just not a way a president speaks. Yeah. 
I remember when he called Abby Phillips stupid. Right. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I was I was literally ready to fight. Like, how are you going to call this? Oh, that's what a stupid question. But you always ask stupid questions. That's something that he has forever lowered the standard of the office. He has normalized his criminal and an ill behavior. And it's going to be honestly, I think, decades before we get it back to what we think is normal. I think the far more dangerous thing, and I think we said this the last time that we were here, the most dangerous thing that Donald Trump has done is that he has made equal in public discourse opinion and fact. If you make opinion and fact indistinguishable and and people, we have this cult-like behavior Mm -hmm. of on the left and on the right, when Donald Trump gets up and said, when he literally was talking to Stephanopoulos, Stephanopoulos says, the, the, uh, the head of the FBI, McCabe, says that what you're that taking information from uh, you know from another from a hostile foreign nation is illegal yeah. and Donald Trump says he's wrong yeah. McCabe is wrong no he's saying what the law is and we know that Donald Trump knows what the law is because when he was originally running back in the for the Repu- the Republican nomination and people were bringing up all of his multiple bankruptcies he said hey that's the law okay. if you don't like the law change it if right. you don't want me to file all these bankruptcy. So, so it's, it's just amazing to me to watch how people contort themselves on the right to be so sycophantic. And, and, and these are things that we know if Obama had done a tenth of what Trump has, 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 alleged, has done. We don't even have to say allegedly done. Mm-hmm. If he had done a tenth of it, uh, they'd be yelling from the rooftops. All right, David, let me uh, challenge you with this one. Play a little devil's advocate with you. I agree. With the basic, if if Barack Obama had done any of that, I mean, he would never have been elected president. He had to be super squeaky clean. That, all right. But let's imagine. This is a rhetorical question I asked earlier in the show. This show I did, uh, well, today, a couple of days ago. Uh, if if it were a Democratic operative uh, who had, excuse me, a Democratic candidate who had been the beneficiary of intel hacked out of Republican computers by agents of Putin and had been secretly given that uh, so that he or she could spread. Actually, they, they did one step removed. They just sent it to Wikipedia, uh, Wikipedia, WikiLeaks, so that they could uh, distribute it. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would be as outraged as you are now? Do you think Democrats in general would be outraged? Or do you think Democrats' attitude would be cynically behind the scenes? Hey, man, you got to do what you got to do to win. This enables us to be president. We can now put a Democrat in at Supreme Court. We can get some favorable judicial rulings. And you would find yourself as a Democrat fighting the same fight that the Republicans are fighting. In other words, do you have a principled opposition to what went down? Or is it strictly a, a weapon, a tool in a larger fight? I, I would I would feel the same. I oftentimes during Obama's uh, eight years, I would oftentimes get into argument. I remember posting my opposition about something he had done, you know, somewhere, you know, one thing or the other and being vehemently attacked on my thread. How dare you as an yeah. African-American man attack the first black. But but we don't even have to make it. We don't even have to go that deep. All uh, the only two words I'll say to you is uh, Al Franken. I was thinking the exact same thing. Al Franken, <laughs> yeah. Al, Franken, Al Franken took a picture 
with a woman who had on a uh, a bulletproof vest. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she's sleeping and he has a picture of him with his hands a couple of inches floating above the vest mm-hmm. looking back at a camera smiling and they and and our and the other democrats made him resign. Mm-hmm. The republicans didn't make him mm-hmm. resign. They didn't censure him. They didn't take a vote. They didn't the 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 his own party made him resign in hopes of saying we're going to claim the moral high ground from the republicans and we'll be rewarded by the by our constituents. You know what the rest of the republicans said? Good. Now we can run for that seat. Right. And so that gets into the issue of moral high ground. I'm with you. All right. Uh, I've been fighting the Democratic machine in the city of Chicago since the 80s. All right. So I'm with you uh, about moral high, high ground. But the practical reality is that we are in a world where the De- Republican Party does not play by any rules, has no principles, stands for nothing. It's all about winning. They'll say A today and B tomorrow, even if B completely contradicts A, if it's in their tactical interest. You know that. I know that. So having said that, does playing the moral high ground reap any benefits or is it just a disadvantage that Democrats are encumbered with? They have to play by rules that the other side doesn't abide by. Somebody has to care about the Constitution. So if it has to be Democrats, that's fine. Don't get me wrong. Democrats need to increase their level of fight, but they don't need to stoop to... Republicans level of hypocrisy I I don't want to see that party have I don't want to see that become I don't want to see our I don't want to see the Democrats become you know the the uh, become the Republican Party I want us to be a principal party that operates in principle but fights because we have the the we have the good fight if if you if you look at if you look at the Trump's tax cuts for instance that only helped rich people that's, and that's who it was designed to help. The average Joe was not helped. As a matter of fact, the average Joe was hurt by the Trump tax cuts. So we need to spend more time as Democrats messaging those issues to remind people that we stand better for policies that will help them. Again, that's where the fight needs to be. I, I don't want us to stoop to I don't want us to stoop to gerrymandering. I don't want us to stoop to, um, you know, not putting up there. You know, if, if there's a Republican president, he should be able to nominate his nominations for the Supreme Court. I don't want to see I don't want to see us do what Mitch McConnell does. And we can get into him. It's probably a perfect segue to mm-hmm. do that. But I don't want to see I don't want to see us become that. I want to see us fight, but fight within the rules, because, again, somebody has to care about the Constitution. And he makes a really good point uh, when you bring up Mitch McConnell. I was talking about this earlier today. The, the Republicans do a much better job at messaging. You can go to any r- rural, far-right-wing community in the United States for the last 10, 15 years, and people know Nancy Pelosi. I don't care where you go. Iowa. You go to you could go to the deepest part of Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas. They people know Nancy Pelosi. I remember being in I remember being in rural Pittsburgh, Philadelphia about three, four years ago, and I was uh, I was at a church and the pastor of the church had a bumper sticker on his on his car that uh, said, uh, remember the fallen. You know what it was a picture of the four uh, the four people who got killed at Benghazi. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the the right wing does an excellent job of target. They have, they make they know how to how to 
pick someone to be their boogeyman and they make er they make sure everyone on their side is aware of it. I guarantee you if you went to most left leaning bastions in this country and you asked them who is the Senate majority leader, they you probably couldn't get more than 50% of people to say Mitch McConnell. Uh, let's talk about that. This is this is one of my favorite topics, and we're, we're now moved into this in a, in a very general way. Now we're doing particulars. The two different ways of operation for Democrats and Republicans. So uh, you're absolutely correct, David Seaton. The Republicans, they personify, they vilify people and turn them into human personification of everything a Republican is supposed to be against so that Nancy Pelosi is just like a, a image that they beam out and, and it just gets knee-jerk reaction. I understand that. Now, this is the Democrats, how they play the game. The most despised person in the Democratic Party among any Democrat is Donald John Trump. But Democrats are always saying, well, we can't just run against Donald Trump. We got to have position policies and papers. Can't just run against Donald And my attitude is, why? Everybody hates him. Right. I mean, could, why would you run away from the very strength that you have that binds your party? I had these two, uh, two young lefties in the show, I told you already, and today, and they, they, they were, uh, took strong stance against Joe Biden. They said, well, would you vote for him? Yes, because we have to vote against Donald Trump. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why don't Democrats play the game the, the way the Republicans the do? The Republicans have, have mastered, or, or they understand that voting is, in, is more emotion than it is cerebral. And Democrats try to turn it into this academic cerebral, well, if you look at this over here, what we're going to do for you on this position, and yeah. blah, 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 blah. I mean, because at the end of the day, if you looked at what Donald Trump was offering and you looked at what Hillary Clinton was offering and you didn't put the name on it, most people wanted what the Democratic ticket was offering in terms of an ideology and things they wanted to implement. But the Repu so the Republicans, if you if you remember, they they really never attacked Hillary Clinton on her positions. They said she's sick. She she's responsible for Benghazi. Uh, you know, she the, her she, emails, she, her emails. And, and she, you know, uh, Donald Trump, you know, coined the crooked Hillary that elicits an emotion. Because she wasn't, a, she was never convicted of doing anything. As a matter of fact, she was cleared by our by our intelligence community. So they've done a very good job of 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 learning how to manipulate people's emotions. the The only distinction that I will make is that unfortunately, more people on the right tend to trend low information or misinformation. So it's easier to manipulate them emotionally. The people on the left tend to trend more be more educated and more more well-read about what's going on. You know, as you, right at the end of your statement, something came to my mind. But the, the first thing I want to say is, to, to support your point, while Republicans are tapping into folks' emotions, and usually that emotion is fear, bigotry, Democrats are asking people to read. Mm -hmm. And this Mueller is the biggest report, mistake yeah. we make. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a crook. Here, read it. Yeah. That's, this is our biggest problem, is that we, we're not, we're not we're, again, we're, our messaging isn't the same. To also support your point, if we're being honest about it, when Barack Obama won, a large part of that was emotion. Barack Obama could move people. Mm -hmm. He inspired people. Yeah. When you think about 2008 
I don't really recall what his specific policies were. I don't know that there was one policy that was like, oh, my God, I can't wait to he's president so he can do that. Yeah. Other than, you know, other than, you know, maybe health care. But uh, but Obamacare really didn't we didn't get details on that. So well, after he was in office. So it was emotion yeah. that got Barack Obama well, me, in uh, office uh, for the I, most part. I'm going to uh, disagree with you on one point about sure. Barack Obama. Uh, it was uh, charisma and, and narrative and emotion that uh, feeding emotion yeah. that got him the nomination. But when it came down to crunch time uh, to be president of the United States, oh God, I can still remember this. This is right when the housing crisis was really hitting hard. And it was a, a moment where uh, Obama yeah, and McCain, McCain went, went to the and White House and Obama he emanated a coolness and a professionalism yes. uh, that I think was very reassuring to people. And McCain seemed a little volatile and uncertain and desperate and desperate. Remember he stopped his campaign. Yes. Stopped right? his campaign. And it, and it just like wasn't believable. It wasn't believable. It looked like he was trying to take advantage yep. of it. So I believe, I mean, ultimately I think Obama would have won anyway, but I believe that uh, people had a sense of competence in Obama, they did that. Uh, they did not have, and and also Sarah Biden scare us. Uh, Sarah Biden, Sarah whoa, Palin. what a what a Freudian slip that right, is. Right. Sarah Palin scared people. So I, I think Obama brought more to the table. But I think in, where you're, I agree with you is 2012 when he ran for re-election. Uh, it was just the veneration of Obama that right. you know what I'm saying. The, but he also had an ideal candidate in Mitt Romney. Uh, because, you know, Mitt was kind of like Joe Biden and, and so much as they, they just give you gaffes mm. out of the blue for no reason. Like I, I, I saw the joke the other day, the binders full of women. Like, <laughs> you can't write that. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, again, he, he yeah. did have an excellent candidates to go against in both in both elections. But, you know, just to just to your point, cause I, and I agree with you, too. He did. I'm not saying that Obama was lacking substance. I am just saying the biggest thing that he did was inspire people. Mm -hmm. That's he, an emotion. Right. And we were talking about emotion. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So right now, when we look at the candidates, who inspires people? And, and I don't think we've seen it yet. Here's the other thing, and this is another thing that the Republicans have done, and, and they've done a good job of misdirection. We're sitting, we, we, on the Democratic side, we, have been, we sit there and we get all consumed about who is sitting in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. The Republicans, as a party, have been working on a 40-year strategy to take back the Supreme Court, to take back the governorships, to take back the state legislatures, to control the because they they know and they and the understand ju judiciary the judiciary these, right the supreme judges not just the scopes but all these other lower level judges that they're putting right. in place but they but they understand that the person who's sitting in the White House doesn't. Donald Trump found that out. Mm -hmm. He had he had the White House and he had the majorities in both the Senate and the and the House of mm -hmm. Representatives for the first two years. He couldn't overturn uh, the Affordable Care Act. So the 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 Republicans they know how to use all the la the levers of power mm -hmm. to implement their their strategy and their strategy is long term. They are Democrats are you know a lot of Democratic voters they didn't vote. You know, or or you had you had uh, uh, Cornell West peel off 
5% of the people on the left to vote for Jill Jill Stein Stein because Bernie Sanders didn't get the nomination. I bet you if you talk to Cornell West today, he would tell you, yeah, that was tactic. That was a bad move on my part because it gave us Donald Trump. I I don't know. You know, I can't speak for Cornell West, but I have uh, a dear friend of mine uh, uh, who is uh, votes green, voted for Jill Stein. And uh, to this day, he he stands by it, and I, I, I now we're in a tangent with a tangent. But I've always believed that uh, Democrats are misguided when they chastise Green Party voters for not being part of the Democratic Party. Because I know Green Party voters, and there's a reason why they're not part of the Democratic Party. They don't believe in the philosophy of the Democrat. They're too, way to the left of the Democratic Party. So. You can't scare them into voting Democratic with the uh, with the notion of Donald Trump, because in their view, Donald Trump is not that much different than Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton, et cetera, et cetera. That's, I, I disagree with their point of view, right, but right. you get what I'm saying? Right. It's it's like try, chastising Ralph Nader voters in Florida in 2000 for having uh, essentially elected uh, George ba- Baby Bush. And they're, they're like, well, I don't think Bush should be... I might be arguing with them, you know, Gore would have been better than Bush. And they'll say, no, I don't think there would have been a difference. If you look back, if we just go back to Reagan, we don't really have to go back before Reagan because Reagan and the Republican Party, that's when they really amped it up in terms of the supply side economics and, and, and the really the melding of the religious right with the, mm-hmm. with the, with the Republican Party and, and some of their other things. But when you go back and you just go back to 1980, every Republican president who we have had has given us an economic downturn recession or depression he had the snl scandal or the snl crashes in the in the 80s then you turn around you look at bush and he gave us the 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 great recession and all of the all of the major indices and and lights are blinking yellow right now with trump in this 1.5 trillion dollar tax cut you've got the bond the bond and the uh, and the other curve uh, you know and are this inverted the, the yield curves are inverted the long term bond and the short term bond debt uh, i mean everything is blinking right now we just had seven we just got the jobs numbers for uh, May. We got 75,000 jobs. Mm -hmm. We were supposed to, we were predicting 185,000 jobs. I remember, again, Democrats don't do a good job of taking that data and seizing on it. I remember when Donald Trump was running for when he finally got the nomination and and the unemployment numbers had fallen to six, five point nine, five point eight. He's like, those numbers are fake. I've seen unemployment. I've heard it's as high as 20, 30, 50 (laughs) percent. Somebody on the left, some Democrat should be coming out right now and saying, did you just see the jobs report? We just got 75,000 jobs. We were supposed to get 185,000. Where are these other 110,000? And if this trend continues, you've got farmers who are losing their farms and filing for bankruptcy. You've got 600 retail retail, retail stores, including Walmart and uh, Amazon and, and uh, Target and two other major ones that have re- the, chain, the National Chamber of Commerce all got together and wrote a letter to Trump, said, get these Chinese tariffs that you're doing are going to cause a recession. Why aren't the Democrats talking about that? Well, maybe it's because uh, the the Democrat Party, there's elements of the Democratic Party uh, that actually buy into Donald Trump's trade wars or tariff wars. Now, that would enable us to transition to another topic, uh, which is one I wanted to talk about. Donald Trump's policy on trade. 
and Atiba, I really struggle with Donald Trump's policy on trade, number one, because I have a hard time figuring out what exactly that policy is, because it seems like it changes from day to day. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem like there's a guiding universal uh, principle that he's uh, following. But one of the other things is that every now and then he'll say something that echoes rhetoric that traditionally has been from the left, which is that right. these uh, these international trade policies work to the detriment of American workers. They're actually selling out our interests of the working man uh, to conglomerates that, uh, you know, uh, that operate all around the world, et cetera, and so forth. So it's really hard to attack. I'm thinking about this Donald Trump's trade policy because you don't even really know what you're attacking. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first thing that we all can agree on is that we're in a global economy now. So the idea uh, that we're going to that any country, especially the United States of all places, is going to be this self-contained. That's not to say that we don't have to look out for American workers. I'm all for American workers, but we have to do it in the context and we have to play by the rules. And the rules are at this time is that we are in a global economy and there's nothing we can do that's going to reverse that. Manufacturing jobs are not going to magically come back. What we have to do is what President Obama was trying to do is embrace the things that are out there, such as green energy or renewable energy, I should say. That's where the jobs of the future are. So I don't know where where Trump is going with his trade policy like you. His tariffs aren't working. The saddest part about that is, is that for the people that it's hurting, which are a lot of Trump voters, that still won't change their mind about voting for him. And that's if he if he if, if he did everything that he did and then there was a political price to pay, then he would change his behavior. But because he's dealing with a base that will suffer with him as long as he tells them to, then then there's then there's no political uh, there's no political punishment for him to suffer. Mm. Well, the most important thing that we have to remember when we talk about global trade and we're talking about tariffs is the 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 one word is specialization the reason why we have a global economy is because we realize that the united no one country can make everything that it consumes or it might be better to say that there are economies and efficiencies that it might make more sense for me to import my avocados from Mexico than it does for me to grow my avocados here in the United States. By, by importing those avocados from Mexico, that frees up some efficiencies here in the United States where I can do something that I might be a little bit better at or might have a, a higher efficiency at doing here. Mm-hmm. That also, that, but by create, so by just using the United States in Mexico in that example. If I, if I as the United States, say, hey, let's, I'm going to import my avocados from Mexico so that we can do something else here, that gives an opportunity for that person in Mexico to create a business and hire some people who can have a good standard of living. And now you don't have to worry about those people coming across the border trying to take a job or whatever rhetoric they come up with because they have a good they have a good standard of living where they are. So the inter the interdependence of all of these countries economically creates stability in the world. It creates it it, it lessens it lessens the, the chances that mm-hmm. you're going to get into a war or a spat about whatever, and it just it, it just acknowledges hey I'll, I'll import X from Holland or I'll import X from wherever. And the other thing we have to remember when we're talking about a global economy is that the United States, being the third largest country in the world, we can we represent even though we represent five percent of the world's population, we represent twenty seven percent of the world's consumption. 
That's why people want to sell stuff. That's why they want to Im- export their goods over here. It's not because they're just trying to dump their goods somewhere yeah. that they're just going to sit in a warehouse. <laughs> they're trying to they're trying to take their goods where they yeah. know people are going to buy it. Yeah. So if five percent of the population is doing over a quarter of the consumption, duh. Yeah. Where do I want to? Where do I want my goods to be sold? Yeah. That's then, why we're trying to get into China so badly. That's why American companies want to get into China because China has the largest population yeah. in the world. Yeah. So duh, I want to go where the money yeah. is. So it's not about some evil global conspiracy of that that oh all these companies are are trying to sell their products here. They're selling their products here because we're the richest country in the history Absolutely. of the world. Well put. But by the way, he's the master. If I can. Uh, of taking uh, everything that David just said, you sound like Thomas Friedman. I don't know if you're a fan of yes, his. I, for the, I could, could just, I'm like, oh, man, it sounds like a Thomas Friedman column in the New York Times. Uh, but uh, you know, that's one of his pet themes is how the economy has changed. So we're all interdependent. You have to stop thinking about as nation states anymore. You have to think about it as a global community. Right. It's one of his favorite themes. He makes a lot of sense when he says that, in my humble opinion. Uh, although there are people who get lost in the shuffle. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it, when 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 I listen to what you two are saying, I'm reminded of a conversation I just had with a um, uh, Ken Davis, a friend of ours, comes on the show a lot, and he's absolutely convinced that Donald Trump will win again. He just believes it, and I, I'm not there. I uh, I guess I have faith in. Uh, the American public. I'm almost uh, embarrassed to admit this because my whole life I've made my living by being very skeptical about people, particularly in the city of Chicago, Ativo. But I cannot believe that the American public, having seen this guy in action, and you, we'll be talking about this, guys, for the next year because we're going to having these conversations mm-hmm. all the time. I cannot believe that the American public, having seen Donald Trump in action and absorbed all the things you're talking about, his lies, his distortions, his inconsistencies, his hypocrisies, his bad behavior. I cannot believe. I understand he's got his base, David. I understand he's got his base at people, but I cannot believe that a majority of people in this country, even electorally, will endorse him. A majority didn't endorse him the first time. <laughs> I'm talking about electorally. Exactly. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But uh, well, what I'm going with, where I'm going with that is, I think you're 100 percent right if you're assuming free and fair elections. But we have to consider that because based on what Donald Trump just said the other day, based on the bills that Mitch McConnell was continuing to block that would allow us to strengthen our elections, they're they're weakening our elections on purpose. That's to David's point. That's part of their grand chess scheme while we're playing checkers so assuming free and fair elections would he win probably not but i can't i don't think we have the luxury of assuming a free and fair election i'm i'm going to go ahead and agree with you ben i i we have we have to remember and and it's easy to forget it's easy to forget this he only won with the electoral votes of three states Mm mm-hmm and he only won those three states with 77,000 votes. Mm-hmm. There were more people in Wisconsin who didn't cast mm-hmm. a ballot for president than, there, than, than the number of votes that, I think, I think uh, uh, Trump won Wisconsin by 14,000 votes, and there were 50,000 va- ballots where people didn't even make a choice for president. 
So he won by the slimmest of margins. He got that. He got a royal flush on the first on the on the come out. <laughs> <laughs> he got a royal flush with, yeah. with spades on, on the you know on the on the deal, and, yeah. he, and he just and so so, so again, I, we we are right to be crestfallen. We are right to be skeptical. We are right to question what they are doing with gerrymandering and voter intimidation and voter suppression and 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 Trump now just coming out and being unabashed about receiving assistance from a hostile foreign power. Power, and now he's saying wh- whoever it is, Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, whoever, mm-hmm. whomever, whoever. But I think it's important that we that we have some context. He won by the slimmest of margins. So I, I don't think it, I don't think it's too much. To, I don't think it, because like you, I remember when Barack Obama won in 2008. And I remember up until the day of the of the vote, I said, this country is not ready to have an African-American president. On the night that he won, I felt proud. Like the United States had finally gotten to a place where 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 uh, where a where an African American biracial African American man could be the president. I, I I there was a there was a sense of pride that I had that night that that just a just a couple of hours before I, I wasn't ready to accept. And the same America that voted in Barack Obama, I believe, will correct the track that has brought us Donald Trump. Well, all right, now let's deal with the what what Atiba was getting at. Uh, you said uh, if it's a fair election, Donald Trump will be defeated. So, how will the Republicans steal the election? Well, right now we know that Mitch McConnell again is shooting down every bill that he can where uh, Democrats are trying to strengthen up our elections. We have a president who has not uh, allocated any funding or anything towards trying to, again, stop Russia or any as far as uh, stopping election interference. He hasn't even verbally acknowledged it. If I'm not mistaken, I think he said something like, well, Putin said he didn't do it. And then he said, what I meant to say was <laughs> he wouldn't. There'd be no reason. I don't see any reason he would do that. Yeah. No, what I said was wouldn't. Yeah. So, we, so again, starting from the top down, yeah. um, we have, we have, then we have voter suppression. Uh, we have Jack Kemp in office. That's a, that, that is, that is Brian walking. Kemp. Br- Brian Kemp. Thank yeah. you. Glad I get Jack Kemp. Jack, uh, Kemp Jack the old congressman. Yeah. yeah. The old congressman. Thank mm-hmm. you. So mm-hmm. we have Brian Kemp in office in Georgia. Mm-hmm. He's walking, breathing voter suppression. Same thing with the uh, gentleman in, in Florida that won. DeSantis. Mm-hmm. Good memory there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got it. Ronald DeSantis. Right. So we have, you know, we have people that, that should be in office when you look at Stacey Abrams. Um, when you look at, what was the gentleman? Gallum. Mm-hmm. Andrew. Andrew. Andrew Gullum. Mm-hmm. Andrew Gullum. So, again, they've been successful in that front, and I don't know why they would continue. I don't know why they wouldn't continue trying to do that. Now, we have people out there that are fighting the good fight. Don't get me wrong. We, we really do. But I am concerned that it will be enough when you, when you add up all these factors, when you add in Russian interference, which is only going to intensify, according to all reports, come 2020. The misinformation that they're planning to come out is like, oh, my God. Um, so, again, with all these factors, I'm worried. I'm sorry. And, and, and you couple that with two Democrats being poor in messaging, um, picking the wrong candidate. I, when was the last time anybody heard anything about the national debt? 
when Obama was president. When Obama was president, <laughs> that's the last time you heard that's something. All, Armageddon. That's yeah. all you heard. Yeah. was we we're passing this on to our children's yeah. children, and we got to get this right. Yeah. Our national debt is almost twenty-two trillion dollars. Yeah. It is approaching the highest level it has ever been, mm-hmm. and no one's saying a thing. To your earlier point, that should be that should be broadcasted everywhere by Democrats, and then. I think we what we need to do, too, is get our money right. And what I mean by that is when Republicans are good on messaging, it's not just that they're good on messaging and agreeing. They, they have super PACs that that are, you know, that, that have tens and hundreds of millions of dollars that are out there promoting their stuff. Where, where are the Democratic super PACs? Well, if you want to, I mean, if we want to, I don't know, if we want to go there, we could go there, but that's going to be, that's going to take us in a completely different. Well, different, I'm just saying yeah. they have money behind their message. Well, and where's our money? We, the Democrats have never, have not since Reagan, have not ever won the White House because we outspent the Republicans. Didn't we do Obama outspent I'm just talking Romney? About, I'm just talking about messaging. I think Obama not, spent, not, not uh, from super PACs. Oh, okay, yeah. Just like yeah, mm-hmm. when you when you include the dark money and the super PAC money and everything, I'm saying I'm saying Clinton and Obama, neither of them won. Isn't it sad to say Clinton and Obama? We've only had two Democratic presidents since 1980. Isn't right. that sad? Yeah, that, you know we've had we had we had Reagan, George H W Bush, W Bush, and now we have Trump. So we since 1980. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In 40 years, we've had four Republican presidents. Uh, if you really want to get depressed, Democratic go back to 68. Oh, wait, but wait, but wait, but watch this, but watch yeah. this. But but two of the four yeah. Republican presidents yeah. who won lost the popular vote. Yes, that's outrageous. I do, and, and uh, we, we are two, we are, we've won one third of the time. I, the I really should get you guys on some time with David Ferris, who a professor at Roosevelt University in Chicago. I love talking politics with him. Uh, he, he believes the Democrats will always are, are putting themselves at a disadvantage because of the way they fight. A lot of the arguments I've been articulating here are stuff that David Ferris has written about in books. And one of the things he talks about is he's and I absolutely agree with him. If the Republicans had lost once, let alone twice, even though they got the majority of the vote, there is no way there wouldn't be a national movement right now to get rid of the Electoral College. No way. But Democrats are like, oh, well, it's been the tradition here. I mean, I've had people come on my show, well, Ben, you don't understand when the the, the framers, <laughs> the framers, man, the framers, there's slavery when the framers did well, that to stuff. Your, to your point, <laughs> framers. to your point, yeah. the, the, and, and this goes back to tactics. Uh-huh. The Republicans, since, since Reagan, since the the Reagan revolution, they've been on a two track attack attack to get rid of abortion. They've been trying to replace the justices on the, on the Supreme court yeah. to get it to a, a, a majority conservative court, which they have now five to four, still yeah. probably too close, but they've got that. The other direction, the other thing they were trying to do was they were trying to get 35 state legislatures because if you get 35 state legislatures, you have the majorities that you need. You have the majority of the states to bring up a constitutional amendment Mm -hmm. that would say we're going to outlaw abortion. So I'm saying that I'm saying that about the about the Electoral College, about the abolition of the Electoral College is going to require a constitutional amendment. And the Democrats are nowhere near as organized that they need to be at the state or the federal le- uh, the federal levels to get that done. Yeah. There's no way that the, I mean the last the last amendment the last amendment to the constitution says that you know was the, the congress passed something that said that, that you can't take away their salary. Mm-hmm. Basically what the 26th amendment says. But the last amendment before that, the last time the the constitution was amended before that was in the 70s. 
Uh, but Dave, I'm going to say something now. That I'm thinking it through, and listening to what you're, uh, you, you two are saying, I realize the Republicans have a huge advantage over the Democrats. Um, their message is easier to convey, number one. And number two, probably the biggest advantage, is they're not asking their party to bridge the race gap, the ethnic gap. They're not asking their party to bridge big divisions that we have in our country. Republicans have made it clear they don't care if black people vote for them. In fact, it's just fine with them if black people don't vote for them. And they just bring out enough Black, this black guy there, that black guy there to make it. Hey, we're not prejudiced. Kanye West likes us. Steve right. Harvey likes us. You get what I'm? What? Then I go back to saying, hey, the Clarence Thomas. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, Democrats, they got a serious divides. They got a. You look at a Democratic convention at Tebow. Mm-hmm. Everybody's coming up. You got a black speaker, a white speaker, a Spanish speaker, gay speaker. We're all together. Not at a, you ever hear a Republican do that? They just get up there and go, we hate this one. We hate that one. Blah. Well, it's easier for Republicans. Well, here's what I'll say to that, because I agree with your, what you're saying generally. More specifically, the Republican message is easier to consume mainly because Republicans, to your point, are all lockstep with the message within themselves. So there, there aren't, there, there are, they were talking about this the other day, there are no factions of the Republican Party anymore. It's all Trump's Republican Party. There is no Freedom Caucus. There was a Freedom Caucus when Donald Trump first came in, but there isn't now because they're all lockstep with the president. We don't have a unifying theme amongst Democrats. We can't even agree on raising the minimum wage. <laughs> Sad. within our, within ourselves yeah, it is it's unbelievable so that's that's what I, I think I think that's what hurts us more because again we're we're all over the place a third of the Democrats like uh, Medicare for all a third of it thinks it's socialism and so when we when we can't yeah. even when we can't even begin to, to develop our own platform and get unanimity within our own platform I think it only hurts us because the Republicans are lockstep I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up taxes. I was trying not to say this, but I'm actually glad I'm going to get get an opportunity to say this because this isn't this will give it'll help me kind of knock uh, kill two birds with one stone. Our messaging is poor and we haven't found. So I'm going to use taxes as an example. Go ahead. And and I'm going to use it uh, in conjunction with raising the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. We could raise the minimum. We could we could create a market based increase for minimum for the minimum wage tomorrow. This is all we have to do. We say we say uh, the the goal is to get everyone across the country to fifteen dollars an hour, but that's an arbitrary number. But for the sake of the example, we'll use fifteen dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. All we have to do is rewrite the code, the 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 code, the the IRS code at the federal level that says if you as a company pay minimum wage, you only get to write off fifty percent of that as an mm-hmm. expense. We're not going to let you write off a hundred percent for underpaying people, yeah. and when you and and we're going to graduate it. But by the time if you decide to pay people fifteen dollars an hour, we'll let you write off a hundred percent of that salary. But then take it a step further: if you pay someone twenty dollars an hour, we'll let you write off a hundred and ten percent. 
and, and then cap it somewhere before you get, you know, if, you know, the threshold to get to consider to be rich is $250,000. So you cap it there. But we could create a tax incentive market-based solution that doesn't require us to re- rewrite the minimum wage rules and it would benefit everybody and companies would say, well, hmm, I guess it's kind of in my interest to pay $15 an hour if I get, if that's the threshold I need to pay people to write it all off. Now people are making more money. And then and that acknowledges that we have a consumer-driven economy. It's not this supply-side cut the taxes at the top so he can go build a factory and hire more people. But if we had, a, but that's the type of creative outside of the box thinking where we've got to take the thing that Republicans talk about the most taxes yeah. and find a way to marry it with our priorities so that it would be palatable, palatable to the most people that, and if, if we did, if we put out 10, 10 issue or issue items like that, the Democrats would take back the, right, the house let, and the let, let me, I'll respond to that. Uh, and on two levels, one, a pragmatic level and one, just the old Chicago skeptic. So the pragmatic level, if that's what it takes to get elected, I'll sign on to that. But in reality, when I listen to what you're saying is effectively what you're doing is uh, passing on the cost of the uh, increasing the wage of the worker to the taxpayer. That's effectively what you're doing. I see it happen all the time in the city of Chicago. So, for instance, uh, what is the, 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 the classic? Oh, here's, it's beyond the city share. A classic example. Uh, working class, uh, minimum wage workers can't afford to exist on the salary that um, they're paid for by their fast food workers, McDonald's, etc. So what do we do? We expand food stamps so that uh, minimum wage workers can get food stamps. So effectively, we're subsidizing the profits of McDonald's, who doesn't pay its workers a livable wage. We're through food stamps. We're indirectly subsidizing McDonald's. Correct. They're getting rich. My taxes are going up, and uh, your taxes are going up, and McDonald's is getting richer. So I think, in a certain sense. You perpetuate the very inequities that you say you want to eliminate if you use that kind of tax-based model to address inequity, as opposed to just saying, we're raising the minimum wage, and by the way, company, you're going to pay the same amount in taxes, because as a common group of people, we need that tax dollars to pave our streets and stuff like that. Agreed. Agreed 100%. All I'm trying to say is, is that we have things in the tax code all the time. The, the tax code is basically basically written for businesses. Very small percentage of what's in the tax code is for individuals. What's, but if you go up to a company and you tell that company, hey, if you buy this piece of equipment, mm-hmm. I'm going to let you I'm going to let you depreciate this piece of equipment over 30 years. You're giving an incentive for that company to go out and buy that That's piece correct. of equipment. Mm-hmm. If you go to a company and you say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna," if you if you buy this uh, if you buy this building, mm-hmm. and and I'm gonna allow you to, you know, uh, you're gonna you can use a sliding scale where I'll let you write off a little bit more of the depreciation each year. You do that because you're trying to encourage that business to buy real estate as opposed to uh, renting the real estate. Because if I buy the real estate, I've got to pay property taxes mm-hmm. on it. So my point is, is that our 
our tax code, we use our tax code to try and modify behavior. Mm -hmm. We can use the tax code to disincentivize companies for underpaying their workers. But that's not the way that it is right now. To your point, if we just artificially raise the minimum wage to $15, then and they're going to write it off anyway. But if I tell a company, hey, in your state, the minimum wage, there's still some states that have 6 and $7 minimum wages. Mm-hmm. If we go to those people in those states and say, hey, you want to pay people $6.45 an hour in 2019? Great, go ahead, but you can only write off 25% of it. Then, But if you tell, them, you tell that same person in that same state, but raise it to 15, I'll let you write off 100% mm-hmm. of it. Raise it to 18, I'll let you write off 115% of it. Mm-hmm. Now you're gonna now they're, you're incentivizing that employer to pay more, and and that now that employer is gonna say, well, I I, I almost have to pay more because if I pay the minimum, I can't even write it all of it off. I'm just talking about creative ways we can use that we can we can take the tax code. We should be able as Democrats to take the tax issue away from the right and turn it and incorporate it with our priorities to take back those voters. Do you buy that, Tiba? Absolutely. Uh, we've seen story after story after Trump's, uh, what, what is it, one and a half trillion dollar tax cut, after the, we'll just call it the Trump tax cuts. Mm-hmm. After we've seen that, we've seen story after story where people have gone, oh my goodness, my return, I, I don't get it. Or either uh, my return is you know half of what it used to be. People are feeling the pain of the tax cut uh, in their individual lives. And the question David is asking is, how can we market that? How can and not just market it, but actually put in a policy that people can then consume and believe in? And so, yeah, I, w- I would agree with it 100 percent because that 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 particular policy is ripe for the picking. All right. Let's uh, change the subject a little bit. And one of the other items that's happened in the uh, the last week, Sarah Huckabee Sanders stepped down as press secretary. I don't know what her exact title is. I, I'm going to call press it press secretary. That the exact she, title. Was, she had one of those ghost payrolls that we used yeah, to have in Chicago with the garbage men. Remember all those yeah. garbage men who are ghost payrolls? And yeah. or in the it was under the daily administration. Well, no, it's still it's a it's a very uh, popular way of. Um, in other words, you you have a position in a budget. You don't fill the position. The money's allocated for that budget. You can spend it for something else. Right. Uh, so effectively, now if Donald Trump does not replace Sarah Huckabee Sanders, he can use that money to what? Re, 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 paint over the White House or whatever he wants. <laughs> buy, to use uh, buy another picture of himself. Yeah, buy another picture of himself. <laughs> buy more McDonald's, uh, uh, Big Macs or whatever. <laughs> All right, so uh, Tiba, what do you think her legacy is, Sarah Huckabee Sanders? You know, um, I'm not a fan, right? With that said, the one thing I will give any press secretary for Donald Trump is it's an impossible position. Mm-hmm. Because when you work for a liar... How can you how can you not lie? Mm-hmm. So she will be known and, and she will go down as someone just like Spicer. I mean, the only reason his isn't worse because he left sooner. Yeah. But he's known as a liar. She was known as a liar. And Scaramucci is known as a guy with a really bad temper. <laughs> <laughs> what a combo. Right. So she's going to go down as someone who lied for the president. But again, uh, trying to cut her as much slack as I can. What else could she do? Um, could she come out and then just say my boss is lying? Yeah. No, she couldn't because that's really what the job would require. It's a shame because she's paid by the American taxpayer and American taxpayers deserve better. We don't deserve to pay to have someone a lie to us and B just decide to stop informing us altogether yeah. as it's now been 95 days since we've had a press briefing. So it, it's it, and, and we know that he's likely not going to replace her. 
or, or put an acting secretary, like he has so many acting other positions. Yeah, 14 so, acting positions. Yeah, exactly, yeah. including uh, chief of staff. So, it, it, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm glad she's gone. Um, she, you know, it was almost worth it uh, for that one lady to crack the joke about the smoky... Uh, uh, Michelle Wolf, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just you know, if, if Sarah Sanders just gave us that stand up, it was almost worth it because that was so funny. But it's you know sa- how they flipped the switch on that one? You, I, that, that's one of my uh, pet peeves. This happened before I knew you guys, but when Michelle Wolf did that, it was just at the National Correspondents uh, yep. Dinner for the White House Dinner, whatever they call it. Michelle Wolf stand up comic, very funny in my humble opinion. Uh, it, and did that stand up and made fun of uh, Sarah Huckabee. Said, All of a sudden, they were like, oh, they're so mean. Right. They're so mean now. Look at the snowflakes then, right. you know? Right. They flipped the switch so fast. They did. And how offensive they the Democrats yep. are, blah, blah. Man, you, you talk about David's right. They, they are on message, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then I remember even Chris Cuomo, because she said she... She burns facts, F-A-C-T-S. Yeah. And he thought, Michelle White says, she burns fat. Yeah. So he thought she was fat shaming her. (laughs) See, that's the other thing about Democrats. (laughs) Democrats always bend over backwards to make themselves look like, well, I'm fair-minded. And you've crossed the line and blah, blah, blah. You never, you can't even find one Republican except for the one dude out of Michigan willing to even criticize Donald Trump right now. Guy. Listen, the, the, uh, Republicans <laughs> have Ted Nugent. Yeah. We can stop right there. Right. So there's not a person on the Democratic side that could almost say anything that's out of bounds. Or, I mean, it, w- it would really take a lot when you look at some of the people that that Republicans endorse, have at the White House, have speak, uh, have huge positions with the NRA, with the uh, um, with the uh, RNC. Again, it, it, it's amazing. The, again, the, the level of hypocrisy. So Sarah Sanders, uh, you know, you know, I mean, again, what, what are we going to miss? She hasn't done anything in 95 days. 95 days. days. I forgot. So she's going to be gone, but how are we going to know? You talk about uh, normalizing bad behavior. Right. You know, I just, I realized that the Americans have got used to having some sort of announcement from their chief elected official. Now we, we, the announcements, Dennis, every day gives me the update, the tweets. So it's like he's replaced sort of like a fact-based give and take between reporters and a representative of the White House with a tweet, which you can't respond to. Right. And again, she's paid by taxpayers. That's 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 our fault as Americans. Don, you you could not have a Donald Trump and uh, a a Sarah Huckabee Sanders, uh, just mendacious to this, the personification of prevarication. You couldn't have a Mick Mulvaney. He's the director of OMB. And he's the acting chief of staff. Yeah, I mean, what do, what does it say about the president who who prides himself on creating jobs, and he's got Mick Mulvaney being a director of a cabinet yeah, and being his chief of staff? If he'll yeah. do that to Mick Mulvaney, he doesn't care about anybody. Yeah, <laughs> but but at the end of the day, there would be there would be no Donald Trump if if people were and 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 we on the left have to have to do this. This is the thing that we have to do, and this is probably not going to be popular to some people. Some people are dumb. 
Like like Donald, there are a lot of dumb people who listen to Donald Trump's lies and they continue to vote for him anyway. There's nothing you can say to them. You cannot convince them. And we as Democrats, we expend so much energy trying to go after that demographic, just thinking if we can just say it right or just phrase it right or just show them this, they'll come around. We leave those people alone. Those people are knuckle dragging troglodytes. We need to go after the people who are at least, in, who are at least intellectually open enough to hear our argument, yeah. and are and they are just too apathetic to vote. Those are the people we need to go after. Leave these, leave these Trumpansies or whatever you want to call them. Leave them, <laughs> leave them to their own devices. All right, we'll close out with this one. And uh, uh, we talked about this before we went on the air. Uh, polls that uh, apparently the Trump White House commissioned uh, that showed Donald Trump losing. Uh, he was losing 13 to Biden, 11 to Bernie Sanders. He was losing seven to uh, Elizabeth Warren, and he was losing by five, uh, five and or seven, no, seven and five respectively to Kamala Harris and to Cory Booker. And he was also losing five to uh, Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> Nobody even knows who Pete Buttigieg is, and he's losing. You can put any of the above. Well, when I when I hear it, this is this is what makes me really, really miss Michael Cohen. Mm. Just so he could say polls. What polls? Yeah. <laughs> what and for a second? So I right. That was, yeah. That was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know when you said Michael Cohen for a moment, I blanked. Like Michael. Cohen. Oh my goodness, the man right. in the federal pen. Yes. Right now he's yes. doing time. Donald yes. Trump. He's he's the lawyer for Donald Trump. Yes. He's in jail, and and uh, Mueller's telling us that we don't have the capability, or it's illegal, I guess, uh, to prosecute indict excuse me, a sitting president, but Michael they Cohen's said, in jail. He said Michael Cohen's in jail right now. Every day he's saying, I can't believe I'm the one in jail. Yeah. But he's living in jail. I've, I've read like a king. Yeah. I Is that right? I didn't see I that. I mean, he's, he's, he's a federal he's, penitentiary, right? Yeah. First of all. So yeah, yeah, he's living in, he's living in, <laughs> he's, he's not in, like, he's yeah. in there like good fellas. He's cutting, <laughs> a, he's cutting garlic with a razor and he's, he's like red or white. Veal, and, <laughs> yeah, veal tonight. <laughs> Got the red wine, the pasta boiling <laughs> right. in the corner. Oh uh, yeah. Michael Cohen's going, why am I in prison? And Donald Trump is still president of the United States. Yeah. He can't believe it. Uh, all right, gentlemen, we're going to close it on uh, that one. One more time, uh, tell everybody where they can hear your podcast. Yeah, uh, absolutely. First of all, they can catch many of our podcasts um, on YouTube. Just Google Humanity in the Headlines and scores of shows will come up. All of them are good. Even if they're older, we have phenomenal guests, great interviews. Um, again, so just Humanity in the Headlines. But the show airs Saturday on intellectualradio.com. All right, very good. That uh, is Atiba Buchanan and David Seaton. It's always a blast talking politics with you guys, and I know you'll be back uh, many times to come. And Dennis, uh, great job as always. Take care, everybody. Mexico, we're getting along with them great. Marcelo and the president and all of them, we're getting along great. They've started a very strong action. They're moving right now 6,000 soldiers to their southern border. Whoever heard of that? You think we had that two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, I'll tell you what we had. We had nothing. Now look, Nancy is a mess. The Democratic Party is a mess. They're doing everything they can to win the election in 2020. Uh, They are guilty of many crimes, many, many crimes, what they've done. They're guilty of many, many crimes. And hopefully in a short period of time, 
that'll be seen. They should never have done what they've done. And all they do is waste time on these investigations where there's no obstruction, no collusion, no nothing. And in the meantime, they can't get a border deal done. They can't do anything. Joe Biden is a dummy. Joe Biden thought China was not a competitor. China made $500 billion over a short period of time against Obama, Biden, and for many, many years, in all fairness to them. China is a major competitor, and right now China wants to make a deal very badly. It's me right now that's holding up the deal.